0: Is watching porn cheating?
1: Well, it depends on, is watching porn cheating is a question from the view of the person who's involved with it.
0: Dr. Robert Weiss, who
1: specializes in sexual compulsion and digital age sex addiction. Robert Weiss, author of Sex Addiction 101. He's a digital age intimacy and relationships expert. Dr. Robert Weiss, PhD, LCSW. He is the Chief Clinical Officer of Seeking Integrity, a unified group of online and real-world communities helping people to heal from intimacy disorders like compulsive sexual behavior and related
0: drug abuse how big of a problem is porn addiction are there any statistics or numbers about it
1: well first first of all porn addiction doesn't really exist as a formal diagnosis in our diagnostic manuals that we use so if you're depressed i can say you have three out of five of these symptoms and you know therefore you're depressed
0: so what are some signs of someone
1: who's a porn addict or what does it look like these kinds of addictions are not about what you look at So, i might be into looking at
0: Is watching porn cheating?
1: Well, it depends on is watching porn cheating is a question from the view of the person who's uh, involved with it. So Mm -hmm. most first of all, let me just say that um, lots of people look at porn. Um, It tends to skew male because what arouses men, which is different than women, for the most part, is men are particularly aroused by visual images. So we like new images, new things to looking is very important to men. That's what part of what turns us on. And the other thing is new. We like new stimulus, new things, new things to look at. And as you can see from all the sexual environments, you don't see a lot of women going to strip clubs. You don't see a lot of women going to hanging out with a lot of porn. So it tends to be men who struggle with these kinds of issues. have to mind of what your question was.
0: Yeah, is porn cheating?
1: All right. So from the perspective, most of men I work with, uh, no, it's not cheating. They don't think of it as cheating. They think about it as, you know, a distraction, a way to be sexual when they are not being with a partner. Um, they think about it as an amusement, a distraction, like video gaming, whatever. But if you talk to a woman that they're involved with, for them, it's cheating. Mm. And we have research that says about 70% of the women who are in a committed or marital relationship, when they're husband or boyfriend is consistent looking at porn they feel like they're being cheated on so like it depends on the perspective The the people are doing it don't feel it's cheating the people it's being who are experiencing their relationship do
0: Hmm. interesting so that being said like you know and we were talking about this before is you know over the years a couple of decades i mean alcoholism has been really discussed about and i feel like we've done a great job at that Um, as far as treatment goes, you know, smoking and then now porn, it seems like the new addiction of this age, because it's so accessible. Um, how big of a problem is porn addiction? Are there any statistics or numbers about it?
1: Well, first, first of all, porn addiction doesn't really exist as a formal diagnosis, um, Mm. in our diagnostic manuals that we use. So if you're depressed I can say you have three out of five of these symptoms, and you know, therefore, you're depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a substance use disorder, which is drugs and alcohol, I can say, well, three out of five of these, you know, and we have numbers for insurance. And but porn addiction, there is no formal diagnosis. There's not enough research. It is, as you said, a relatively new area for research. We're just barely getting into video gaming, and mm. but sex addiction in general, we have had a lot of information. We can't say how many but we can say the reasons, the causes, how uh, how frequently they're carrying out the problem. And we do have diagnoses for sex addiction where you can actually criteria-based diagnoses. I have a feeling that it won't be long before uh, porn, porn-related sexual acting out or compulsive porn use will be diagnostically um, organized and will be researched, but we're not there yet. By the way, even in terms of sex addiction, that it's kind of like with alcohol, we think of it as alcoholism. Someone Mm. might go to a 12-step meeting, say I'm an alcoholic, but as far as the therapy world is concerned, it's called substance use disorder. Mm. And so in my world, even though you'd call it porn addiction, sex addiction, whatever it is, the formal words for it is compulsive sexual behavior disorder, but it's really all the same thing. Um, It's people's out of control behavior.
0: Mm.
1: oh I wanted to address something you else you said which is about where we were and have been with other addictive substances versus this one
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, People have been looking at the problem of alcoholism drug addiction since well forever but formally as a science since the 1930s and 40s mm. um, We've only really acknowledged all the behavioral addictions like gambling, spending, video gaming um sex porn these are, Fairly new issues, behavioral addictions, if you will, for the uh, the research and uh, and therapy will to be looking at that person, or you were just immoral, or you just, you know, didn't have your values lined up, or you weren't spiritual enough, or now we understand more about how the brain works and how behaviors can become addictive.
0: Hmm. I see. So. How prevalent do you think it is, you know, like do you think how, like if you had to is there any numbers of like hey, x number of men are having this problem or issue right now? Um, you know, out of a subset of, you know, a uh, certain amount of, you know, American men, you know, uh, or males, do, do you is there any data out there on it? There is not specific data about this.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that among the addictions we see about a six to eight percent of the population has some kind of addictive disorder. Mm-hmm. And that seems to cross the line between substance use disorders and behavioral disorders. So, somewhere five to seven, six to eight percent of the entire population, both men and women, struggle with addictive disorders. Um, mm-hmm. However, we can't say and don't know the degree to which it is about porn. And part of that is, you know. If I walked up to you and I said, this is porn addiction, I'd like to interview you about it. Well, what are you going to say? You're probably going to say no, because it's embarrassing and shameful, humiliating. It's much easier in the culture to say, oh, yeah, I have a problem with drinking.
0: Mm, I see. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned sex addiction. What is the difference between the two, like between sex addiction and porn addiction?
1: Well. I think there's a number of them, but it's interesting to me because you would think that someone has a compulsive problem with sexuality, whether it's seeing sex workers or multiple affairs or strip clubs and all that, you would think that that person, if they had a problem with porn, that it's a sex problem. So they'd be like a sex addict, Mm. but it's interesting because the, the porn addicts will go to a sex addiction meeting and they'll say, I wish I was seeing sex workers. I wish mm-hmm. I was going to massage parlors because all I do is sit in a room by myself for hours at a time, sometimes longer, and look at images You know, in isolation, in the dark. So the porn addicts are, are I mean, the primary difference is the sex addicts are out in the world doing their thing. Um, porn addicts tend to be more isolated and alone. And so they don't really fit in the same categories because the sex addicts need to stop doing what they're doing out in the world and the porn addicts actually need to go out into the world and starting having healthier sex um so in that way they're differentiated
0: Mm, i see that's that's very interesting so it seems like porn addicts are a little more lonely is that is that a, a good way to describe it
1: Well, I think all addicts are lonely inside. You know, Mm. I think loneliness and emptiness drives some of the addiction, and that's a whole other story. But I do think that those people who have porn addiction have a tremendous amount of shame, Mm. probably more than your average sex addict, because after all, who wants to be that guy? You know, the one who's sitting home alone for hours at a time in a dark room looking at porn when other people are out dating, other people are out building relationships, other people Mm. are, you know doing the twenties thing and the, you know, and the, which is lots of sex and experimentation for some people they are doing the late twenties and early thirties thing, which is building relationships. So porn addicts see what healthy people are doing in the world. And I Mm -hmm. think for them to not be out there, you know, they feel like they're 12 years old. They're sitting in a room Mm -hmm. by themselves looking at porn and, and that's incredibly shameful and humiliating Mm -hmm. for people who have the problem. I actually think it's one of the most shameful for, especially for a man, um, of these behavioral addictions because it means i can't even connect with somebody i'm just sitting here in the dark by myself
0: right and i think there's an element of you know like in our society this is you know generally speaking but if a male is out there dating a lot of women out there you know having sex with a lot of women right. they're seen as a stud in some in many men's right. eyes right and so, um, and so I, yeah, I think that is, that is a huge issue there too. So- on a whole bunch of, we define
1: masculinity, you're right. I mean, at least people who, who live that way and look at it this way, we define in part masculinity by how many notches I have on my belt. You know, mm-hmm. how many people I've, I've had sex with, I've engaged, I've flirted with being a man, whether they agree with it or not. And yeah, these are the guys who aren't doing any of that, and uh, they don't feel like they're mad.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. So let's say someone is listening, and they're hearing everything you're saying, and they're wondering like, if they have a porn addiction. So how, what are some signs of someone who's a porn addict, or what does it look like?
1: Well, um, first of all, I just want to say it: these kinds of addictions are not about what you look at. So I might be into looking at, you know, people being tied up. I might be into looking at men who wear panties. I might be interested in looking at just plain old sex. Mm. What I look at, I guess I think about it like alcoholism. It's not defined by whether you drink whiskey or wine, you know, so it isn't a problem of what kind. And then people will say, well, how much sex, you know, how much porn is I'm looking twice a week or once a week or, And it's the same again with alcoholism, you know, three drinks a day might be a lot for somebody it makes them a serious alcoholic for somebody else, you know, not so much. Mm -hmm. So you can't say this much sex defines or this much porn use defines it. So if it isn't what I look at and it isn't how often I look at it, then how would I define it? And I think all addictions are really can be simply defined as behaviors that in the behavior addiction world that are significantly interfering with somebody's goals and desires in life. They're significantly interfering with their own ethics and values and beliefs. So let's say I'm a guy who wants to have a relationship and I want to be a part of a family and I want to create or I want to, you know, get a certain degree in school, but 90% of my time when it's free is spent, you know, looking at porn. Well, I'm not going to achieve those goals. I'm not going to build a lot of relationships. I'm not going to join a soccer team. I'm not going to um, maybe pass those exams or get married or because my focus is this. And so the bottom line about addiction is about functionality. To what degree is this behavior affecting my ability to function and carry out my life the way I want to? Um, and then it has negative. And so the, that's the biggest negative consequence, I think. I want to be happy in my relationship, but I can't because all I'm looking at is porn. Um, I think that mm-hmm. is functionality is probably the biggest piece but we could go through, you know, specific mental health criteria that are longer, but that's, you know, if I am not living the whole life, I want to live on a whole bunch of levels, a healthy life, because the porn is a huge distraction and the porn is my primary focus, like it or not, um, then the porn use is profoundly affecting my ability to function. And that makes it an addiction.
0: Mm. So it seems like If porn has control over your life to where it's influencing your decisions and not giving you the life you want, then that seems to be the cutting point of the addiction.
1: Well, I'll tell you, while we're talking,
0: Mm.
1: I'm going to go on my favorite site, which is, you know, a chat AI site. And I'm going to say, list the most common. Why don't we do this? Mm. List the most common symptoms See how is. addiction oh it's very good. it knows me and by the way one of the things it said about me which I absolutely love which is not true, is it said the renowned Dr. Weiss and I was like, oh cool I'm renowned you know that's what it thought of for me but anyway, right. so what does it say it says um, that it's part of compulsive sexual behavior. So here's what it says and I, I agree with this completely it says, preoccupation with porn, the spending a significant amount of time thinking about seeking, planning, or engaging with porn. Number two, compulsive use. So I I have difficulty controlling it. I have difficulty stopping it, even when it's interfering with other goals like school or work or relationships and all responsibilities. Like I'm supposed to be somewhere, but I'm home for the next hour and a half, you know, looking at porn. Um, There's an element of tolerance. So just like for some people, I use this much drugs and I have a great time. But then over time, I need more to Mm. get the same level of being high. It's the same with porn. I may start looking this frequently or at that. And then over time, I'm looking more frequently. I'm looking at perhaps more um, uh, disturbing or exciting or whatever is imagery. And so there's an escalation to it. And of course, that's called tolerance. There are actual symptoms of withdrawal. But Mm -hmm. if people stop extremely compulsive behavior, and that could be gambling or spending or eating, or in this case, porn, they tend to get irritable. They tend to get restless. They tend to feel anxiety. Um, They tend to have a lot of mood swings. So there is an associated kind of psychological um, challenge because this becomes a coping skill. It becomes a way of distracting myself. It becomes a way of comforting myself. And so when you take all that away, like any addiction, that person doesn't have that coping skill, then they're going to have to deal with their anger and their disappointment and their fears. And they can't run to disappear into the porn. And I think one of the last signs is they're neglecting their responsibilities. So they're not going to work on time. They're not engaging in their personal relationships. They're not doing the things they're supposed to do because they're going to porn. Actually, I can give you a few more if you want. Oh yeah. Um, Failed attempts to quit. So somebody is saying, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm going to put the porn down and I'm committed to that. And they can't, maybe they can't mm-hmm. for a few weeks or a month or whatever it is, but eventually they find it re-entering their life in a way that uh, they had said it wouldn't, which is loss of control, right? I say, I'm not going to do this, but I end up doing it anyway. Um, it interferes with relationships you know, we were talking about that earlier, it strains or damages relationships It, especially romantic and intimate relationships. Porn um, addicts, as all addicts do, uh, tend to live that part of their lives in secrecy. They hide it. They are dishonest about it. They say they're not looking at it. They neglect others, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they lose interest in other things. Mm. So I used to be into these hobbies, or used to be more involved with social relationships, or I used to have other things that really entertain me. And now most of my time seems to be spent looking at foreign porn, cruising porn, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll give you two more. One is emotional distress and shame. So I'm doing this regularly, but I don't feel good about it. And mm-hmm. I can't seem to, even though it makes me feel worse about doing it, or I feel ashamed of it, um, I, I cannot seem to or causes anxiety, I continue to do it anyway. And of course, by the way, that's cyclical because the worse I feel, the more I use it, and the more I use it, the worse I feel. So it's kind of like that. Um, Finally, um, when we talked about the escalation, there's risk-taking behaviors. So people will look at porn that might cause them problems. they're looking at porn that leads them to online prostitution, camboys and cam girls. They're looking at porn that might potentially be illegal. or So the escalation can lead them to risk-taking, and the risk-taking can lead them to more general problems. By the way, porn addicts don't take very good care of themselves. They're not going to the doctor. They're not eating particularly good food. They're certainly mm-hmm. not out going for a run or exercise because, and I'll just say this to you. When I ask a porn addict, what do you do for a hobby? They say, well, look at porn. I say, what do you do for fun? Well, I look at porn. Mm. Well, what do you, you know, what, how much time do you spend making a meal? Well, I get uh, done with as fast as I can so I can get back to the porn. Mm. And like any Mm. addiction, it becomes kind of the primary focus of their life and time. So Mm. that's a whole bunch of symptoms. Anybody out there says, oh my God, that, (laughs) you know, five out of the seven is me. Um, It might be
0: an issue. Interesting. Interesting. So let's let's kind of play that out. Let's say they heard all of that and they're like, okay, that that seems to be me. I mean, where do they start? Is it like is the first step kind of like you have to announce that, you know, you have a problem and now it's time to figure out steps to resolve it or you know, where do they get started if they identify with all those issues?
1: One of the easiest ways to figure out if you actually have a problem is to stop You know, Mm. if I say to most people, you know, I don't want you to look, I I think, or even to myself, you know, I think looking at porn is a problem It's distracting me. I have some of those symptoms. Okay, well then look, don't look for a month, put it down and say, I'm not going to do this. And so I think that one of the easiest ways to do that is, is to determine if you have a problem is to see if you really do have control, because if you don't have control and you're saying, I'm not going to do this sermon and you end up doing it anyway, then that is a sign that that a behavior or a substance is ruling your life rather than ruling your own. There are plenty of websites and where you can look at getting support groups. I mean, I, I have a treatment program, Seeking Integrity. We offer lots of free groups for men who simply want to sit with other men and say, and listen, you know, what is this problem? Could I have this problem? They can drop it anonymously and just hear what other men have to say. Um, Lord knows there are endless books that you can read. Um, so whether it's 12 step, step support or seeking out a therapy environment, um, or through the church, I just think the best way to begin to handle it is to educate yourself and then to spend some time around other people who acknowledge they have the problem. So that you may begin to see, do I fit in? Where do I fit in? How do they deal with it? How are they getting better? You know, is there anyone worse than me? You know, to be, and and I guess I'll say too that you you can't get well alone. I mean, being alone is part of the problem. No addiction can really be solved by myself. I have to go get help or build relationships where I will get support for change. Um, Yeah, it's self-identification. It's education. It's listening to other people. It's going to specialists who handle these issues um, like that.
0: Mm -hmm. So you mentioned shame and embarrassment being a huge part of it. And so I'm just thinking if someone feels shame or embarrassed, they might have a hard time accepting or even re- uh, reaching out to get help, right? And oh, I think yeah. before this conversation, you were talking about how the Asian population um, seems to struggle a lot with it and differently. So you struggle with about- reaching out. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that um, related to the Asian community, but also just how do people overcome that shame and guilt and embarrassment?
1: Well, those are about five questions, (laughs) but let me see if I can just get to, I think that it's not just the Asian community. There are a lot of ethnic communities where when I have problems, I turn to my community. I turn to my Mm. church. We turn to each other in some way. So the idea in the Asian community in particular, I see it in the African-American community, the idea that I would go outside for help to a stranger in, in um, cultures that are so community-based, makes it, it, it just doesn't feel right. It isn't what I would do. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think we have, I know we don't have as many Asian men or women coming to therapy. They're not going to 12-step programs there's all the shame that it brings on the family, you know, that I am not an individual and part of a culture, especially a family culture. If I go out there and actually admit I have a problem, how will that reflect on the family? How will it affect on, you know, reflect on our, our beliefs, you know, as a community? Um, so there are so many pieces, I think, that it, for Eurocentric people, not a problem. Going out mm-hmm. by myself and engaging therapy or going to get help, it's sort of, endemic to uh, to that culture. But there are other cultures where the idea of getting help is means you are really, really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, or why can't you handle it on your own? Or mm-hmm. you have all these resources, you have the community, you have the you have family, why would you need to seek help from, from a professional? So I think there are many reasons unique to the culture where people choose to try to handle it uh, in ways that make sense to them, from where they come from but don't really solve the problem How is that is that okay yeah um that's a tough one because it's different for every culture
0: right and then how about age you know do you find that there's a particular age range that struggle with it more you know like let's say young adult or you know uh, later on when you're older you might you know have a little bit more self-control because your mind is more developed now, tell me about you know, age ranges there. <laughs> but you would think in
1: uh, in an age of people being raised on the internet. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I was raised with newspapers, you know, and and you weren't. So, you know, with the accessibility of communication information, with the anonymity of communication information, with the affordability of, of communication, and it's obviously easier, more accessible, more uh, and there's a lot more porn available than there might have been if you had to go to a store and buy a magazine. By the way, there are a whole lot more images online that you would have found in a magazine. And as mm-hmm. I said, men like new or even, a, you know, on a, a film. And as I said, men like new images. And so how many times can you look at that thing and you're kind of bored with it? But so it it makes perfect sense that younger men, let's say under 35 or so grew up in a world that is so focused online that they would be accessing their porn and sexual materials online. And there's so much more of it, as I said, and it's so accessible. I don't have to go to some place where I hide my car out back, you know, whatever that is. So, and there's less of an emphasis um, of, of, of of live in vivo social relationships or dating, you know? Um, it's much more about who I find online and how I engage online and hooking up online and so, Younger folks have a culture that is more driven by by the by the computer, by the pad, by the phone, as opposed to those of us older folks who grew up more in a more relational kind of way, if you will. So you would think that the primary issue would come out of younger folks, but I have men in treatment. You know, I run a treatment center. I have men who are 75, I have men who are 60, I have men, and they've been looking at porn since they were 12. They just evolved with the technology Mm. so they used to have stacks of magazines and then they had stacks of videos and they had stacks of cds and then they moved into constantly being online so i think the need to escape and soothe yourself and try to deal with emotional issues um, especially intimacy and sexual ones by disappearing into sexual images is not unique to any generation and I think the, the older porn addicts have found their way into the same places that younger folks are. But the early exposure, I think, does create problems. And I know it does. And I don't worry so much, I don't worry, I'm not saying what a parent should do is right or wrong for them. But as a professional, I don't worry as much about the 16-year-old who found some porn online. But when he drags his 10-year-old brother and and has that kid who's maybe not gone through puberty and all that try to deal with and look at the stuff that he doesn't have any perspective on he is more likely to have problems because he's not ready psychologically biologically to be exposed to that level of stimulation and that can become a norm at such an early age that it creates problems later in life that those of us who didn't have those experiences don't have
0: yeah so let's kind of follow up with that i think i saw an interview um, where it was mentioned that the average age of a child who discovers porn is 11, right? Is mm-hmm. that affecting their psychology and development?
1: Well, I can't speak to the individual, mm-hmm. but I do think that when people are exposed to content materials that they are physically and biologically not ready for, that it can build in patterns of behavior or beliefs about experiences. You know, I don't know about you, but if I were looking at porn, I might see people with bodies that I don't see in the real world. I might see them have body parts or engage in behaviors. You can understand that if you're 16. You can understand that if you're 20, that not everyone looks like that, that relationships aren't just about, hi, how are you, let's have sex. But if you're 10 or you're eight, you don't have any perspective on what that means, what those images mean, um, what it means when people, when the women are used or taken advantage of. Or, so that idea of this being a norm is very different for somebody who, you know, whose brain is not evolved to the point where they even understand adult sexuality versus somebody who is post-puberty, you know, is older and can in some ways integrate and make sense out of it. Um, I think younger folks in general, you know, pre-puberty are overwhelmed by what they're seeing. Um, mm. We call porn, by the way, a super stimulus.
0: Mm.
1: And a super stimulus is an incredibly stimulating experience that is not naturally occurring. So cocoa, le- co- cocoa leaves, people who chew them to get more energy, you know, the cocoa leaves are not a super stimulus. Mm. But when you turn it into a concentrated powder and you start snorting it, mm. that is a super stimulus. So looking at attractive people or maybe, you know, a a relatively small number of images of something, that's not a super stimulus. But when you raise porn to a level where it is a constant stream of engagement, that doesn't happen in real life. And so it does tend to skew how somebody looks at sex, relationships, frequency, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm. But there are other challenges the person who starts looking at porn and makes it their their primary outlet for sexuality doesn't have that same drive to go out and date someone. I mean, let's face it, one of the things that gets us out there at 16 is I wanna get laid. And mm-hmm. so in order to get laid, you have to build a relationship, you have to get to know someone, you have to figure out you know, what is going too far that someone will object to versus what. You don't learn those things when you're sitting and looking at porn. So one of the other things I do see, porn addiction or not, is men having much later development in terms of relationship and intimacy because they're they have this outlet for sexuality that is so immediate and so powerful that they don't need to go out searching for people to be sexual with. And so there's a delay because, you know, again, some of the driving force for men and we don't like to admit it and going out in the world and dating all that is because we want to have sex. Mm. And, you know, and by the way, with VR coming along, you know, that experience, and I did some documentaries for Vice about, um, about porn addiction and VR and, you know, I got to tell you that what's coming is so much more powerful and so much more intense than mm. anything we experience in two dimensional um, mm. experiences. Um,
0: yeah. Mm. So I I do want to talk about that a little bit more, a little later, Um, put a note there, but you mentioned that it's a super stimulus, right? And like cocaine Mm -hmm. is banned. Uh, I think Montana is the first state to ban TikTok um, for addictive reasons, but also because political reasons. Should porn be banned? I don't. Should alcohol be banned?
1: Should gambling be banned? You know, not everyone who's exposed, most people who are exposed to something that's intentionally pleasurable or, you know, provides them as a social outlet or can be fun once in a while. Most people just say, well, that was fun or I like that. Or maybe I'd like to do that again sometime. Or maybe that's causing me problems. I shouldn't do that again. But if you're an addict, you think very differently. Mm -hmm. So I would say of the people who are addicted, they shouldn't drink. They shouldn't look at porn. They shouldn't be gambling. But that doesn't mean the entire culture doesn't get to engage in something that they they think alcohol is the greatest example. You know, should we eliminate all alcohol because some people have problems with alcoholism? Well, they need to learn to live in a culture that has alcohol, not to remove the alcohol. Besides, an alcoholic would be drinking a mouthwash. They don't Mm. care if they can get themselves to the alcohol.
0: Mm. What about an age limit? Because you can't drink until you're 21. Should porn be, do you think porn should be restricted from people under a certain age, like say 18 or 21?
1: Well, it was, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to go to a 7-Eleven and you wanted to buy a copy of porn back in the day, you had to prove that you were 18. Mm -hmm. So there has been, there have been um, attempts in the culture like, buying cigarettes, you can't buy cigarettes until you're a certain age, you can't buy mm-hmm. alcohol until you're a certain age. So I, I do believe that, I, I actually do believe that up to a certain age porn should not be available because it is such a, it gives people, and boys in particular, such a skewed view of women, such a skewed view of how I should engage a woman and what I can get from a woman and what a relationship is. It really does distort a whole lot of things that, like drugs, alcohol, whatever, that could be more naturally evolved. So yes, I do feel that the most vulnerable people are those people who are very young, and it is not helpful for them. Now, would I say that they can't look at the Venus de Milo? You know, can they not look at classical images or painted images or you know whatever that is? Or will, will they be exposed to body parts as a part of their education? Sure. But that's very different than sitting at home alone looking at porn for three hours a day mm-hmm. rather than doing your homework. Um, so, yeah, I think when you've got a super stimulus that has the potential for profound addiction or life changing psychological problems, you probably want to keep it out of the hands of kids until they're old enough to understand what it means.
0: Mm-hmm. What age would you say that is?
1: Well, I can't, you know, if I were charged. Of the world, you know, I I would say that it's it's about the individual. You know, are there some kids they lean in? I have parents like, there's no effing way that my kid is, you know, I, I can't say one is right or one is wrong. I could say it's really about the individual, but we can't set the culture up. By saying, well, let's do a psychological test to someone we we sell alcohol to and ready cultural rules. So I would say that, you know, 18 is probably a reasonable age. So as far as shame
0: goes, you know, what sort of connection is there between shame and also using porn or even porn addiction? Well, first, I want to identify what shame
1: is, and mm-hmm. then maybe we can talk about the difference between that and guilt, because I they think they're two similar but different experiences. Shame mm-hmm. is a pervasive feeling of unworthiness or being a bad person or being unlovable. So it has more of a global, no matter what I do, no matter who I am, no matter what, I'm always going to be bad. And so mm-hmm. shame, if I do something I don't feel good about in the world, it's going to reflect back on me as a bad person. Um, guilt uh, and shame is not particularly useful because all it really leads to is self-obsession and you kind of can't really grow out of that over and over again. I'm not worthy, I'm a bad person. But I believe addicts are much more broken Mm. and brokenness in terms of emotional health and intimacy disorders and social issues. And to me, guilt is a feeling that revolves around I'm making mistakes, but that has to do with problems that I have. And I can fix those problems. So shame is more like, I'm unredeemable. And guilt is more like, I feel bad about this, but that's an opportunity to learn something. So, you know, I might let you down for some reason. And I feel like, oh my God, I'm such a piece of crap. I can't believe I let him down. I hate myself. Guilt might be more like, Oh, I let him down, wow, I need to go apologize and maybe go redo that to fix it. Because mm-hmm. guilt informs me, oh, you didn't do something right and mm-hmm. you need to fix it. Whereas shame does nothing but say you're a bad person, there's nothing you can do about it. So mm-hmm. shame comes up uh, often around porn, especially in young men because they're very isolated, they're not building social relationships, they're spending hours and hours and hours and they know it um, mm-hmm. separate from day-to-day life and social relationships because they're kind of locked in the room using porn. And I Mm -hmm. think there also is an element of shame in porn, which is I'm not good enough to have a meaningful relationship. And so all of that, especially after orgasm, um, can turn into, I can't believe I did this again and what's wrong with me and I'm a terrible person. And Mm -hmm. it it, kind of leads to that. And it does globally, Mm -hmm. but certainly with a porn issue even more because it involves involves sex, which can be even more shameful for people.
0: Mm -hmm. By the way,
1: you can feel shameful in a non-porn experience. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go out and have two affairs, you know, or you might get caught, you know, hiring a sex worker and you might feel tremendous shame about that because it indicates what a horrible person
0: you are. Right. I see. So it can manifest itself in many different um, act behaviors. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So as far as You know, being able to decipher the difference between an addiction, I mean, are there any other like addiction like problems that might arise that is different than not porn addiction? Um,
1: So we have things we call co-occurring disorders, Mm -hmm. and it's not unusual for someone, for example, to have a drug addiction problem. And one of the things that my program, Seeking Integrity, um, looks at is the relationship between chemical dependency or drug addiction and sexual compulsive sexual behavior. So for mm. example, someone who has a cocaine problem or a meth problem might go to a treatment center that treats drugs. And so they look at their drug issue, they work on their drug issue, they understand what they need to do for recovery, but no one asks them about sex. And they mm. also might have compulsive porn problem. So they end up hating themselves so much about the porn problem that they use coke or meth in order to be able to tolerate it or maybe they have some internal self-hatred like i hate being homosexual or i hate that i'm into whatever and the only way i can enjoy it is by also getting drunk or also by smoking pot or whatever so in those situations they kind of mutually reinforce each other Mm -hmm. for example when i'm drinking i go out and have sex or when I go to have sex, I feel a lot better when I'm drinking. And so you can't really pull one apart without pulling the other part. For example, some of the people I work with where they buy their drugs is where the sex workers are. Mm. And so they end up, even if they want to be sober from drugs and alcohol, putting themselves in situations where there are the drugs. And so, mm. you know, they get in trouble. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, can you continue? Right. What What else do you want to talk about related to that? Yeah. Oh, so- other co-occurring. Mm-hmm. So certainly video game gaming Mm -hmm. i see people popping back and forth between four hours of video gaming and then an hour of compulsive porn or or backward and so they'll jump one to the other you know Mm -hmm. they have their they have their sexual experience but to avoid the the shame the self-hatred the isolation they just turn to the the gaming for three hours and so Mm -hmm. they can get stuck in the room all day going from one to the other Mm -hmm. um and i see this with gambling you know, uh, compulsive gambling, which increasingly is online. So Mm. you really get people who are very isolated uh, doing uh, shopping, engaging Mm. in compulsive spending, engaging compulsive problematic behaviors that are tied to porn. And we often, and that's what what we tend to treat. um, Mm. Because I said that, you know, the drugs are not good enough. You have to treat both. Mm.
0: So, do you treat both at the same time? Do you focus on one first and then one right after? Like, how do you decide which one is the bigger sin? <laughs> That's a great, you know? well, I wouldn't say sin. I would say mental health problem. Right, mental health. Um,
1: uh, I don't know much about sins, but I mm-hmm. do know about mental health problems and addiction. Um. So here's the simple answer. Simple answer. If I'm drinking every day, mm-hmm. um, I don't have the ability to set boundaries on other things. Alcohol, for example, is disinhibiting. You know, So I have a couple of drinks and I'm like, oh, I wasn't going to do that, but I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I will because I've had a few drinks and mm. the, the anxiety, the discomfort, the promises I made to myself, they're all gone because of the drinking. Mm. Um, so I end up doing things. So what I'm saying is um, I have to have someone sober. Because mm-hmm. if they haven't had some time, that doesn't mean they can't be treated at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something I do, I think is particularly important. Like I said, you deal with the drugs and alcohol, but they're not gonna stay sober because they're sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. But if I don't get them sober and drugs and alcohol, they will never be able to deal with the sex or the gambling because they can't not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly co-occurring mental health problems with addiction, bipolar disorder, for example, there are people very often who have profound early trauma, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional neglect, and they have learned to use sex as a form of coping. Mm -hmm. And so unless we deal with the underlying issues at the same time, they're not gonna be able to uh, stop the behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I do want to say, though, and I think it's important to say, and I'm not sure if I said it already, there really are there are two kinds of problems coming from two kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. And that means, there, let's say there's a young man, and the, women too, by the way. This is not exclusive to men. I have mm-hmm. run sexual disorder programs for men um, and women. And I think we might have mentioned that men and women come to those situations from different arenas or for different reasons. If I am have obsessive compulsive disorder, or I'm very Mm -hmm. impulsive related to um, uh, attention deficit disorder, or I am completely manic related to uh, the mania part of bipolar disorder, I'm not going to be able to stop a compulsive behavior because it's really driven by the mental health problem or Mm -hmm. by the other addiction. So those things have to be managed. I can't treat someone who's actively mentally ill Mm -hmm. um, because they are that is driving them to the sexual behavior and they, or the spending or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's important, I was starting to differentiate the different kinds of porn addiction, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's a
1: large population or a moderate population of young men and women who they really don't have an addictive problem with sex or sexual behavior or porn. It's just become a norm for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, there are certain ages where we are supposed to achieve certain goals psychologically. So for example, in your early teen and young adult world's time, that's about dating and building social relationships and engaging. Maybe in your thirties, it's more about building family and longer term. So what, what, uh, or at 14, it's about making friends and being part of a group. Or, so each age has a, a time at which you would ideally develop a, a certain thing. The problem is, is that um, let's say for a porn addict, they don't join at 15 or 17, or 20, they don't join a team. They don't go on the hike, They don't uh, play ball. They don't, you know, in other words, they're not out there or they don't make a best friend because they're not out there achieving the goals that would be appropriate for that age. And I have 30-year-old men who have never gone on a date. You know, have never been in an emotional relationship and they're very isolated Mm -hmm. because they don't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. And so with those people, and there's an erectile, problem for some of those men because they are Mm -hmm. so used to hyperstimulation and intensity of porn that actually being with a person is kind of boring Mm -hmm. Um, or they might not get laid. I took you to dinner and you didn't have sex with me, but on the video online, they always have sex, you know, so Mm -hmm. they're so used to that intense experience that they really don't know how to manage or tolerate a relationship experience. However, to me, that's an issue around development and I can get those people engaged in social relationships, in dating, in fun activities at 30 or 25. And they will slowly move away from the porn because those are attractive to them and they enjoy them. And so they move on. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who really have an addiction where they, no matter how hard they try, no matter what other you know, interesting and meaningful activities you introduce in their life, or even if they still have already have them, You know, they're out playing ball, they play golf, they have friends, they enjoy their work, they're married, but they're still compulsively using porn. And that to me more points to addiction because it's ongoing, it's chronic, and Mm -hmm. it's something that you really can't grow out of. It requires a sort of lifetime maintenance. And Mm -hmm. I think this is very important because there are people who get very, very addicted or compulsive around sex and they think they're sex addicts or porn addicts. The truth is, is if they were refocused on living life and enjoying life they wouldn't have this problem mm-hmm. and there are other people who think oh well i just need to get rid of the porn and go out in life and enjoy myself and they are still have the porn problem so the problem is is that in the general public has a difficult time differentiating these two things mm-hmm. and that's why you kind of need a professional to sit down and do interviews and learn things um, there are websites for people who have porn addiction
0: mm-hmm. but
1: i would be curious how many of those people are really sort of social, socially have social deficits or developmentally, you know, behind versus those who are really addicted, but
0: in the moment they look the same. Right. I see. Wow. So let's change topics a little bit. Um, Let's talk about population decline. So, you know, there's um, many stats out there. Elon Musk, you know, talks about it a lot, how there's a population decline and there's there's many reasons why you know, people have different theories, but do you think it has anything to do with porn use at all?
1: Well, first of all, it's interesting because there's been a lot of surveys about um, sort of this generation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the question is, and, and it's often been said, this is generation that's much less sexual. You know, unlike the one I grew up in the 70s, you know, they're having less sex and were considered on sex, But what they didn't ask was about porn and compulsive masturbation and bots. And so you can think of that as not having sex because Mm -hmm. sex in many people's mind is intercourse or a relationship with someone else. So I think if you ask the broader question, which is how often are people having sexual experiences and list them all? I would suspect that your generation is having a lot more sex than they actually talk about. If the whole culture is having a lot more sex with non-intimate objects, non-relational objects, if most of your sex life is with porn and cam girls and, you know, and sex out there seems boring or difficult, then you're not going to procreate. You're Mm -hmm. not going to have babies. And I have had guys sit around and say, you know, I'd rather hang out with my friends and video game and then, you know, jack off by myself. Then I actually want to go out on a date because you know if you go on a date you might not have sex or you mm-hmm. might have to take someone to dinner or they might not like you. This is so much easier. And so if that is true for the larger population, which of younger folks, which I I think it is, but we don't have research, then it would reduce um, it would reduce procreation, number of children that we're seeing born. Now there are all kinds of social issues and war and COVID and all kinds of things that mm-hmm. you know make those numbers. Um, very difficult to research, but that's just my suspicion, seeing a little bit of what I see. And by the way, we had talked about this and I wanna mention this, is that we don't even, we haven't most of us experienced what's coming. Mm. because a lot of us engage well almost all of us in a two-dimensional experience like mm. you and i are where i'm looking at an image
0: mm. but
1: what happens when i put on a vr, VR headset i'm looking at porn mm. then i'm in the room with that person i feel like i'm connected to that person and actually having done some vr work with people my experience is um for example i like like you when we, when we might engage in, a, in gaming on vr whatever or i'm watching you on vr but when you are i'm sorry let me try that again. Um, in a two-dimensional experience like this, Mm -hmm. I might like you, I might have feelings about you, we might enjoy each other's company. But when you put that VR headset on and I'm viewing you, it's more of an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, wow, I really know this guy and I'm concerned about him. And so it becomes more immersive and then it becomes more emotionally engaging. Mm -hmm. AI, you know, is gonna mean we're gonna, very quickly be able to to create this size this and that color that and this size this oh and I want them to have you know have a cow head or whatever Mm. you're into and that just you know other than you know uh, pasting things together Mm. or you know working in digital uh, photoshop or something like that you can't create that so if you look at the relationship aspect which is coming or already exists and you add that to AI I think there are a lot of problems that I don't think I'm really gonna be around to treat, but mm-hmm. I think the next generation of those who deal with, let's call it compulsive sexual behavior
0: mm-hmm. rather
1: than porn, because it's a whole different thing. It's not just porn, it's interactive. I think there's gonna be a lot more struggle going forward. Well, a, a compulsive behaviors in general, gambling, for example. You're at the casino, you're at the table. You know. So I think that, yes, we are headed in that direction, And I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, people looked at Playboy or whatever magazine they looked at and they got to the end. They bought a magazine and had as many images as it had. But men like new stimulation. That's part of what turns men on. So there was only a limit. You had to go out and buy another magazine, you know. Mm -hmm. But now online, there's an endless amount of imagery. And so that has escalated people's use of porn because there is so much more energy, uh, uh, sorry, so much more imagery. Mm -hmm. And so in those ways, I think technology can drive a lot of great things, but it also can drive compulsive and addictive behavior in ways that we hadn't anticipated.
0: Mm -hmm. I see. So with technology, you know, new forms of porn coming, like the chatbots, the AI, the VR, like you're mentioning, you know, how do people kind of, prepare for that, you know, because it's going to be, I would argue, highly addictive, you know, because AI will be able to look at a bunch of different data sets and say, okay, this seems a lot of people seems to be uh, seem to be liking this, let's create more of this and make it even more addictive, right? So charge more money, right? Charge more money and hook people in. So that way, they would never stop, right? Because there's going to be a profit um, incentive. So how can people kind of prepare for that? Well, I don't think you can
1: prepare for I couldn't have prepared for the internet. Mm-hmm. I couldn't prepare for cell phones, what they are today. Um, so I, I couldn't imagine growing up that you could actually talk to someone, you know, on a device in my hand. And mm-hmm. then, by the way, I'm not buying a watch until I can do the Dick Tracy thing and actually see and talk to mm-hmm. someone on a watch, then I will buy one. <laughs> but in any case, um, we don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. What I
1: would say about addiction is that it's never going away. Mm -hmm. And so there will always be people who are pulled into experiences that are not relational or which means on drugs or gambling or or video. I mean, I'm not with people. I'm out there by myself, often isolated like alcoholics. There will always be and has always been a certain percentage of the population who ends up addicted. Um, You can give um, some people heroin Mm -hmm. and they will enjoy it for a period of time. But when they want to stop, they reduce the physiological effects and they're fine. They don't want to do it anymore. There are other people that no matter how sort of stable and how much you take away the heroin and their complete physic. Fi- they have no longer been in their body, they will still go back because they're going back for emotional and psychological problems for, the, for an escape. Mm-hmm. And so, Um, we may see an escalation of people who are increasingly interested in escaping to online experiences, especially those who aren't used to having, you know, in vivo sexual experiences, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say this, I think technology always drives the potential for more addictive behavior. For example, Mm -hmm. if I chewed cocoa leaves, to work in the fields, you know, 100 years ago, it wasn't particularly addictive, but when you refine cocaine into a powder that's Mm -hmm. much more concentrated, then you have addicts. And so I think it's the same, you know, when you raise the level of technology and our engagement in it, um, we're more likely to see addiction. And I think I mentioned this, but I want to say this. Uh, Porn, for example, is a super stimulus. Mm -hmm. And a super stimulus means it's something that is not naturally occurring. So for example, um, uh i won't say a name but chocolate bars mm-hmm. they're in some way a sim- super stimulus. you can't go out mm-hmm. and go to a tree or you know buy so the amount of sugar the amount of carbohydrates the 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 desire we have for that more intense experience didn't exist before technology and technology came along listen i used to go to a gas station and if i went in the in the station to pay, you know, there was oil, and there was a guy in overalls, and there was some gum, you know, and there were tires, right? So, how addictive an experience can that be? Mm-hmm. But now, I go to a gas station, you know, or even an elect- electric charging station, and I walk in the in the in the uh, store, and there's sugar everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's candy everywhere in, in certain places, there's alcohol everywhere. Technology drove that it drove the ability for those things to be more readily available for those to be less expensive. And as you said, they create profit. So it's much more profitable for me to um, go into a store when I'm filling my car on some level and see all these potentially addictive experiences, Mm -hmm. rather than going in and saying, I don't really need a tire. So I'm good. Mm -hmm. And it's again, it's technology that the advance of technology has driven the potential for addiction. So yeah, the answer is to your, the quick answer is we're going to have a lot more people with more problems, but not everybody.
0: Right. Dr. Rob, this has been such a real pleasure, um, such a dynamic conversation. Uh, Where can people find you? Yeah, I really appreciate that. So I give out my email um, Mm -hmm. because
1: I always answer them or I direct them. And some people want resources, like where's Mm -hmm. a good therapist? Some people want, I want to go to a treatment center. Where do I go? Some people want, there's a couple of books or a podcast or, you know, what kind of therapist should I see? Do you have any referrals? Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I do most of the time. I mean, I do online consultations and all kinds of other stuff, but a lot of times I'm just referring people to other resources. Mm-hmm. So our, our website is www.seekingintegrity.com. So that's one word seeking integrity. And I named it that because if you're an addict, you're disintegrated. Mm-hmm. You have a life over here, which may be family, friends, whatever, and then you have the life over here with the porn that no one knows about. And I want mm-hmm. people to be one person. So, Seeking Integrity is why we named the program what we did. And we have a ton of free resources. We probably have 14 groups that are free. You can go and you can listen to a therapist. Anyway, um, uh, if you want me, I am rob at seekingintegrity.com. Uh, rob at seekingintegrity.com. And I have an incredibly popular podcast called sex love and addiction and in sex love and addiction that's where you're going to hear a lot of the questions that you've had answered only by all kinds of professionals that i've interviewed awesome and i really appreciate the opportunity to do this not everyone wants to come out and talk about these things but you're going to help a lot of people i guarantee it
0: i totally agree with you thank you so much dr rob all right everybody i'll see you in the next episode thank you for tuning in
1: bye for now